You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. I hope you've been having a great week. I most certainly have been. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I would just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life, your favorite metal friend, that person that shows you all of the best music, I want you to tell them that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast exists. You can tell them that there are over 300 episodes with some of the world's best metal musicians where we talk all about life, metal, and craft beer. If you would encourage one of your friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today's episode is a special one. It was recorded at the pre-party for the Manitoba Metal Fest at Sukram's Brewing a few weeks ago. This is Vox and Hops episode number 348 with Jesse Matthewson of Ken Mode, Daniel Decay of Exciter, and Chris Sutsos of Thrashed. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Very stoked to be here at Sukram's Brewing, the pre-fest party for Manitoba Metal Fest. I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy, the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jesse Matthewson of Ken Mode, DK of Exciter. We got Chris from Thrashed. Uh, this is going to be a little like roundtable discussion, something special. Uh, we're all drinking a very cool beer that Sukram has created called Tribute. It is a vanilla stout. It's a 6.66%, obviously. How are you guys doing tonight? We need like audience noise. You said that we're live here from Sukram's from Manitoba Metal Fest. There we go. There you go. You've done this before. Uh, massive cheers to you guys for hanging out. We'll start with a simple, how are you guys doing tonight? I'm always sad. Because <laughs> I live here. <laughs> I, I just get to pop in and pop out. I'm lucky. How about you, DK? How you doing? Deepest condolences on living here. Um, except for Sucrums is badass. And you got Sal's nips. Those are cool, too. Uh, I'm good. You know, spent all day in an airport in an airplane, much like some other people at this table. So we're drinking some beer to forget about it. Hell yes. You, Chris, uh, you, you, you made the 24-hour drive to come party with us tonight. Almost died by three moose. It's all good. Big shout out to the boys for keeping us safe. Hell yes. Uh, Vox and Hops, let's just jump straight into it. Do you guys remember your first beers? We'll start with you, Jesse. What's the first beer that you ever drank? Uh, probably a Bex that I stole from my dad. Terrible. I actually didn't like the taste of beer until the first time we toured Europe and played Belgium. Really? Okay. Up until then, beer, was, was it like a... It's like a necessary thing to get drunk as a stupid teenager, but other than that, eh. And then what happened when you went to Belgium? Obviously, the, the beer quality got a lot better. It was like a veil was lifted from my <laughs> face. I can, I can get the feeling and enjoy the experience? Because anyone who's had one of those Belgian Hell yes. double, triple, quadruples, like, Jesus Christ, that'll change your life. <laughs> How about you, DK? What, what was uh, your first beer? It definitely, my dad uh, sneaking me a sip of like a Labatt Blue in the basement during, you know, there's some <laughs> hockey on the TV. Mom was upstairs asleep and I was probably like six or six seven but it's funny like i i was one of those kids who like just lied to their parents and said i love the taste of beer and i let them buy me that like beck's non-alcoholic for years they'd have barbecues how, how, old, how old are you when you're doing that dude like i was like young like 11 12 13 no my parents let me smash non-alcoholics at the barbecues it was awesome fucking 
<laughs> I mean, Chris, Chris, I don't think I ever asked you this. So, your first first beer? Um, probably Moosehead Lager or a Heineken that I stole from my dad when I was younger. I noticed a recurring theme here. <laughs> it's funny because my dad doesn't drink to this point. He still doesn't drink. And my first beers came not from my dad at all. And I remember my first experience with beer, and I've said on the podcast a bunch of times, was being a kid in Canada, finding this bottle next to the Dairy Queen and picking it up. And I was wearing like these mittens that my mother had knit me. And just the horrid, rancid smell of, of old beer. And I didn't like beer for a long time because of that. <laughs> you dr- you drank? No, I didn't drink, beer? and I just like okay. picked it up, and it like spilled on my mittens, you know. But totally remember that. Uh, second question, via classic Vox and Hops: uh, the soundtracks of your youth, sticking with your parents. Uh, what music was playing in the house when you were not in control of the music? What music did your parents or guardians listen to? Let's keep going with this order, Jesse. I remember Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, and the Doors. Not bad. It's a good place, good place to start right there. My dad wanted to fuck me up because he wanted to listen to Nirvana. So he bought me a tape thinking he was too old, not knowing it would ruin my life and eventually come <laughs> back and blow up in his face. That's, that's the, anyone listening, you're never too old to get into a band. Even, even if they're cool, you're allowed to listen to them. As a boomer, you'd be surprised the shit he listens to now. Like I, <laughs> When I buy records for myself, I buy them for him, too. Really? Yeah, he's a wild man. I love that. Cheers to your pops. Yeah. Uh, DK? Uh, the old man drove a Camaro and loved to listen to Priest and Maiden. Uh, so there was a lot of that in the basement. And then upstairs, my mom was always listening to music, too. Uh, she was more into like pop. and Dude, she liked Genesis, which was super rad. So I, yeah, yeah, there was, there was good, I, I was lucky, man. There was like good tunes in my house uh, growing up. I had the heaven and hell, basically. Dad in, 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 you know, in the dungeon in the basement, drinking Labatt Blue, watching <laughs> hockey, listening to Maiden, and mom upstairs baking cookies, listening to Genesis. It was pretty fucking dope, man. Very young musical parents. No musical skill, but good record collections for both of them. Yeah, fans through and through. They both love going to shows, too. That was like... I got to see, like, Elton John when I was a little kid because my mom couldn't get a sitter. It was, like, cheaper to just fucking take me and sit her, you know, sit me on the lap. No, no she, she, needed. she found a sitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> how about you, Chris? A uh, lot of Elvis growing up. Elton John. Who else? ABBA. And decent amount of Led Zeppelin and ACDC when I was younger, too. DK just hit on it right there. Uh, first shows. The first shows you guys ever went to go see, was was Elton John that first show for you, DK? Uh, I don't know if that was show number one. It's kind of embarrassing, I or perhaps I'm lucky. I don't remember show number one because there were a lot of cool shows when I was a kid. My my mom would take me to go see the pop shit she wanted to see. My dad would like seek out anything that was like remotely all ages or that he could lie. Like it's like April <laughs> Wines playing the State Fair at the you know like the bar. Like fuck, like. Dude, like Canadiana, dude, all that shit. I saw Loverboy when I was a kid. I saw Chilliwack when I was a kid. All that, sh- all the good, all the good stuff. So yeah, I, I don't remember show number one. Like big arena show, I remember first one was Ozzy. Like Ozzy with Voivod's support was fucking insane. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it's kind of cool that I don't remember show number one because that means there were a lot of them. Yeah, well, what a lucky experience. How about you, Chris? Your first show. I think that was at the Air Canada Center in 2008 with Metallica, Volbeat, and Lamb of God. Pretty sweet show to go to the start. Yeah. God, you're young. How about uh, Jesse? Oh, man. My parents never took me to anything. My first show was a local show. 
I was obsessed with the band Kittens and found out they were from here. And it was in 96, we went down to Wellington's. It was Kittens, Dead Poet, The Umpires, and Riverdale High, I believe. And Kittens was not an all-ages band. And me and Ken Mode's <laughs> first bassist, Daryl, were like the only people standing up front as they convulsed and spit all over themselves. And everyone else took 20 steps back. And I'd end up playing in a band with those guys years later. So that was my first show, and it fucked me up real good. So that's interesting that you, you start really at that extreme underground spitting on themselves. I'm so This happy. is normal. This is normal, That too. was the shit, and it changed the way I approached live music. It had to be like that, something that visceral. Kittens was so fucking good, and anyone around the 90s... That was a part of that weird, fucked-up Sonic Onion noise-slash-indie-rock scene understands. It's too bad they didn't get really outside of Canada too much, because they were truly unique. How about your first time on stage? We'll, we'll keep going with you, Jesse. Broadway Neighborhood Center 99, Ken Mode's first show. Really? Yep. We've been in the same stupid fucking band. <laughs> is, is that your first band? That's fucking wild. No one, no one does this. I just had shot her from Dagobah, and it was the same situation, and it baffles me. Yeah. We had a thread going on Facebook once where Kurt Ballou from Converge was lamenting the fact when your high school band never breaks up, how cringeworthy <laughs> it can truly be. And I know Topon from Fuck the Facts was lamenting the same thing where it's like the, the skeletons never disappear no. when you keep that band together forever. Unbelievable. DK, do you remember your first show? First time oh, on stage. Fuck yeah. Uh, playing, I was playing bass and the lead singer of like an all cover and one original band. I'll spare you the name because I'm sure the cash still exists somewhere on MySpace. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we played like the, uh, the it's called the Barley Moe. It was like a neighborhood pub and, you know, a little stage in the corner. And our set list was like Kiss covers and Hendrix covers. And it's like atrocious, but like. When you're like 14 years old, like, I mean, it's fucking lucky just anyone's willing to let you play on their stage. So, yeah, the, na the neighborhood bar and grill, bud. Love it. Chris, you remember your first show? Less than level in Brampton, Ontario. I was singing and playing bass for my old band. Also not going to shout out that name because I'm sure there's a whole lot of cringy material back then, but... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. We're, we're in Winnipeg. What does Winnipeg mean for you guys? For you, it's a home. It is a home. Jesse. <laughs> It'll probably be a tomb one day. <laughs> I mean, I never left here because, I mean, as much as this place can suck, it's also the more you travel the world, every place sucks. Yes. So we've, there's a reason we've exported so many people all across Canada and, and I mean, really North America, like. It's a character-driven city, and we've got a lot of creativity that comes from here. And if you see any of the bands who end up being an export, you understand why. Mm. DK, what, what's your biggest memory of Winnipeg? What's your, your Winnipeg story? I, I kind of remain, I've been fortunate enough to play this city a shitload of times over the last decade plus, and I remain that this is the most punk rock city in Canada uh, by far, like, dude, Diamonds would play shows, and there'd be like forty crust punks in the in in the in the parking lot, being like, "We can't afford tickets, man." 
But like, if you guys want to do acid and burn some fucking picnic benches after the show, oh. uh, so like, I, I have a lot of fond memories of that kind of shit and Sal's nips and all sorts of all sorts of good uh, Winnipeg stuff and venues that have come and gone. And I kind of did this with Corey when he picked me up at the airport today. He's like, "What venues have you played here?" And some of them exist and some of them don't. But the spirit of this city has always been punk rock uh don't fucking play here in january you're fucking insane if you do and somehow i've done that half a dozen times too so fuck that it's usually pretty sweet though right? <laughs> it's cold but yeah, the shows you, are sweet yeah you gotta get everybody from every other band outside to help you load here through fucking nine feet of snow it's insane shout out to Corey uh, ninja cat productions uh, putting on the manitoba metal fest yeah. massive cheers to Corey. uh chris you have a, a winnipeg story I have two. So one is that episode from The Simpsons where they're driving into Winnipeg and on the sign says, welcome to Winnipeg population, blah, blah, blah. We were born here. What's your excuse? <laughs> so there's that. There's that in 1993, Timu Solani shooting the glove up in the air. Timu's an absolute fucking legend. And the Winnipeg Jets. I remember the first time I played Winnipeg and Melinda, who drove me here today, I didn't remember, and I remembered as we were talking just now. It was uh, at the venue, which is next to a hotel back in the day in 2008, where there was, it was in a sketchy part of town. I think, the Albert. The the Albert, oh dude. I remember the gig. I remember the party afterwards, now that I think about it. And uh, Ollie from Cryptopsy has told me that he stayed in that hotel next to it. And uh, there was blood everywhere. Um, <laughs> that, that sounds right. The Albert arms and legs. Uh, I would like to dig into a deeper, more spicier question. You guys are three guests that sort of have something in common which is um, monetizing metal. Jesse, for yourself, you're very, you are basically the band accountant. <laughs> yeah, me and my brother. Although, it's funny to say monetizing metal because like as an artist, I'm probably the least successful <laughs> of all the people up here. The yin and yang of yeah. that I love, yeah. But because we're nerds, we decided we'd make money handling other people's money. <laughs> Bands that people actually like. <laughs> uh, D- DK, you, you, you kill it on Twitch and stuff, so monetizing metal that way uh you, you've done stuff with banger you've done other things involving making money while being a musician outside of just playing the shows chris you, you have a merch company basically now that is uh, metal themed let's talk about the the authenticity of being a metalhead of exactly you're the perfect king and yang jesse of, of being true with with a v instead of a u um metalhead but yet still being a capitalist. <laughs> Go for it, Jesse. I, 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 you're the perfect guest. <laughs> yeah, it's really just trying to... Uh, the way especially my brother and I approach this, there are so many blood-sucking vampires in our industry, and we like to be the people who bring in and manage the money from a band perspective as people who've slept on people's floors for 15 years and got fucked over by... Everyone and anyone. So we're here to beat the shit out of people and do the nerdy stuff so our clients don't get fucked. And I, honestly, it, it's, it's been a lot of fun, and the fact that I get to make a living doing this is fucking cool. Because this has ultimately been a long game that I've been playing since I was like 19 years old, where 
I literally had like an out-of-body experience in a science lab in university because I was in like biosciences and I thought like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, I don't give a shit about this and I'll never be good at this because I don't give a shit about it. And the only thing I care about is music and I will never make money doing that. So I might as well find something I can do where I can make some money even in that realm. So... I don't know how the fuck we lucked into this, but I think it's just because we toured for so long and met so many people that they inherently trust us, which that's why, why the fuck wouldn't you when, you know, we're not posers. (laughs) (laughs) DK, uh, monetizing yourself, uh, the side hustle. It's so important for musicians to survive nowadays. It, it, you're absolutely right and I think it's funny you're talking about like monetizing metal I think it's pretty much like the only genre where you can make 75 bucks and be like hella successful <laughs> like the bar the bar is set we quite feel, low we feel good right like the bar we're like the comedians of, of the entertainment world it's like literally getting paid 60 and 75 dollars a night and so I mean the bar is quite low um, but I think that you know much to resonate what I think everyone at this table feels is that I knew from the youngest of ages that this is all I wanted to do. You know, I used to punish bands before I was even playing in bands. I would just be like this 17 year old kid and 16 year old kid who just like, I'll sell your merch. I'll go on tour. with Oh you. yeah. Oh dude. I turned like 18 on the road with cauldron. Like Amazing. I used to go to and just sling merch, go on these brutal Canadian winter tours and just like, (laughs) yeah, you know, do the thing. Like whether I was playing in a band or not, I knew that I just wanted my life to revolve around metal. And, you know, as technology developed and, you know, you mentioned there's Twitch and YouTube and merch and, you know, uh, now I'm into these like hosting gigs, working, working for 5B and working for NotFest. It's like, it's just like, you kind of have to work 11 jobs to make it in this world of metal, but like, that's the move. And, um, to be, you know, as I say, the bar is not set that high. So to be looked at as like somewhat <laughs> successful at monetizing metal, like it doesn't really take that much. Because you know, as 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 you hear, like we do still sleep on floors. I'm pretty sure. Are we share? We're splitting another room tonight. Yeah, can I get out the couch this time? Yeah. So you know, it's uh, it's been a journey, but I think that you know those those who truly believe that they can make something out of it will make something out of it because those are the people who are true with the V. Hmm. Love it. Love it. Love it. Chris, uh, to echo what Danny said, when you're doing something with like metal or going on any endeavor by yourself, you have to be authentic with who you are, and you're going to be wearing a lot of hats. Transition. We have thrash hats here. You can <laughs> always, get ready. always, always, always. <laughs> Got to be ready at a gas station at 3 a.m. Someone might come up to you and want a hat, or you had to do this pre-show. You put a bunch of hats on your fanny pack, wearing over the bullet belt. People know what you're selling. Uh, be with the right people. Honestly, uh, if there's any lesson that I've learned is you have to be with the right people that are going to shovel shit on the Sunday with you because, like everyone else said, it's not always the funnest gig. It's not fun getting almost hit by a moose three times on the way over here and not sleeping at all. But (laughs) where else do you get to do this? Where where else do you get to celebrate craft beer, quality people, and in an amazing city too? It is kind of fun though. Yeah. Because <laughs> you do get to talk about it. and it's, it's like war stories, right? Oh, it's always way more funny like later. Yeah. yeah. Living the experience, it's a pain in the ass. But It's like nightmarish. People who haven't been on the road, that's like the biggest thing. People ask like, what's it like being in a band on the road? It's like being fucking married to five people at oh, once. Yeah. It's like you're arguing over where you're going to eat. It's like who's going to shower first. Like everything's a mini argument all day and it's really stressful in the moment. 
and then you get home from tour and you're all texting each other like, ho ho, what time's loading? Like, <laughs> y'all miss it already. I miss you. Yeah, yeah miss you. And not just that, you're like, you're doing like five different jobs that in, in any normal position, people would be getting paid for that. Right. Oh, 100%. 100%. I wish we had money to pay for that. <laughs> Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsins? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Uh, yesterday was a monumental loss for the metal community. Trevor, Black Dolly Murder, one of the best humans I've ever met. I had the pleasure to tour with my first U.S. tour was with him, and he immediately welcomed me. The Unspoken King was not the bestly accepted metal album, but he welcomed me with open arms. Uh, so I want to talk about mental health, and I want to talk about opening up about feelings as a metalhead. Um, I know that uh, Jesse has a lot to say about this, so I'll let him kick it off. <laughs> I mean, I just wrote two records about essentially trying to not completely lose my mind during the pandemic. Yeah, it's a weird one, especially in the metal community. Like a, a lot of it comes out through lyrics, but I don't feel anyone's actually talking about it outside of that. Like fans of bands will talk to the people who are writing lyrics about how much they help them through hard times, blah, blah, blah. But they don't talk to their fucking friends about it. And it's funny because I was talking to you just before we started the podcast about how I've been having these kinds of conversations more and more frequently. And it's it, from a different context where I'm largely speaking of where uh, people are pointing out problematic behaviors within underground communities. And I, I get that these are, it's a problem, but at the same time, we are forgetting the fact that a lot of people come to these communities because they don't fit in. They don't have good social skills. And oftentimes they have pretty bad emotional problems. And it's, it's a work in progress for all of us. But I, I do think we all need to kind of accept the fact that there's a reason a lot of us are here and we're, we're kind of fucked up. You need to have a degree of sympathy for that sort of stuff. And it's bad to even say this, but there, there is a lot of legitimate even like autism in our scenes where there are people who don't know how to relate to normal people. Many of our heroes are on the spectrum, 100%. Big time, and it's fucking brutal. Yeah, 100%. Working with kids, which is what I do when I'm not screaming death metal or doing what I'm doing right now there, as uh, I'm well-versed in the, the, the spheres of autism. I 100% agree with you, and I've toured with people, and 
I'll, yeah, whisper, I'll whisper to people and be like, that dude's on the spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> and he's he's fighting some fucking demons. Yeah. And, not. and it's hard to understand that if you're not in that person's yeah. shoes and perspective. And it, it's very, very prevalent in aggressive music because there's a lot of emotion that isn't going fucking anywhere. Yeah. And then you take away the touring, which the cathartic release. Yeah. Well, even for myself, like during the pandemic, I, I have two major coping mechanisms for my own battles with clinical depression. And it is this fucking band and Muay Thai and both disappeared. Mm. So (sighs) hasn't been a good time. (laughs) Things are coming back. It's looking good slowly. And then I hurt myself while training. (laughs) (laughs) That's life though. That's, that's like life saying you're 40 now and (laughs) we're getting older. (laughs) Fuck you, dude. (laughs) Uh, Chris, Chris, talk about mental health and the the importance of opening up uh, as a metalhead, and I, I have something to say about it too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you've been an incredible friend in this capacity too. Uh, I've been in recovery for the past year and a half for PTSD, BPD, and social anxiety disorder. I grew up with a learning disability. Uh, what you find in metal is a lot of people on the peripheries of finding acceptance within themselves, and that's how they get into the music, and that's how. You have that sense of community with one another. And to echo what Jesse said, a a little bit of sympathy and compassion goes a long way for a lot of people. And whatever that healing process looks like for you, be it therapy, medication, exercise, or music, or the outlet of doing something creative, there's something that you can always reach out to someone else and always just try to be a bit compassionate and check check in on your boys. Check in on the people that you love. Hmm. DK, what do you have to say about the subject? I I I really love like all these you know profound and deep ideas and you know lovely words coming out of the mouths around me and I think I'm I'm gonna take a little bit more of the raw approach here and just say this like without any sugar on it at all. If there were less people in our scene in our world, if there were less people who created the stigma that you're a fucking pussy if you go to therapy and you're fucking soft if you can't deal with your problems yourself and that's not the fucking manly metal way to do it. If we, go, if we could drop that bullshit for a minute, I'd have a fucking shitload of my friends that would still be alive. So fuck off with that shit. Help. I, my, my phone number is available to anyone who wants it. Hit me up on a fucking DM, an email. Very accessible. I will talk to a stranger. I will listen to anyone anytime. There's nothing wrong with reaching out to a friend for help or to a professional for help. That's why it exists. There is nothing soft about that. In fact, you're fucking tough if you're able to realize that that's the biggest battle is realizing that you need someone else, man. We can't do everything ourselves. We try, you know, we go on tour and we wear these five hats every day and we're doing all these jobs and we're supposed to be indestructible, but you got to slow down for a minute and take care of yourself. It's so fucking important. And it pisses me off when people discredit the importance of that. And dude, like getting called soft for seeking therapy, like get fucking real, like get fucking real, man. To, to interject some humor into that, the, uh, concept of metalheads acting like tough guys uh, <laughs> my, my brother and I have kind of laughed at the concept a, a fair amount the last bunch of years because like real tough guys like you the, the tough guys in high school didn't turn to fucking metal they'd play sports <laughs> they do something to get women they don't turn to the thing that like pushes everyone away so stop pretending you're tough because if you were tough you'd do something else 
None of us are tough. We're hiding <laughs> under this aggressive facade. It is a facade, and that is, that is 100% true. Hell fucking yes. I, I echo everything that's been said. It's time for people to just, if you need help, there are friends there. Don't enter a cocoon. Don't go down that dark tunnel. Reach out, please. Yeah. That's a tricky one because when you're in that dark place, the last thing you want to do is reach out to someone too. So it's a matter of, it's fucking tough. You got to check in on your friends sometimes. And as much as you, it, it putting that kind of responsibility on other people, if you all know each other that well, that's just kind of what you got to do. You got to take care of your crew because, I mean, I've been there. When I'm fucking depressed, I don't want yeah. people bothering me. Yeah. I don't want to be a burden. I just want to be left alone. But then when you receive that message from someone, is that something that pulls de- you? I mean, it definitely helps. <laughs> It won't necessarily get you out of it, <laughs> but it does help. No, that's why the check. You're right. the 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 burden somewhat should be on friends, as as you know. That's why we don't just say it. Everyone check in on your friends. Tell your friends you love them. Like it's real shit. You sometimes do. You're absolutely right. It is sometimes the furthest thing that you want to do is reach out when you're in that darkest space. So it is on us. If if you love someone and you care about someone, show them. Check in on them. A simple text message. You don't even have to call them. I know we've all got fucking social anxiety about making phone calls now. Thanks, yep. text messages. Yep. Like I can't even order. I can't even order a pizza on the phone anymore. Fuck that, dude. Dude, I never ordered a pizza. My mom. I'm from Quebec, right? So my English family in Quebec. My mom doesn't like speaking French, so she would make me. I haven't said this on podcast yet. Uh, she would make me order the pizza as a child because I went to French school, and I, I've been fucked up on the phone since then. <laughs> I love making beer collabs. I love making collabs in general. I love creating something with the Vox and Hops logo, with uh, the Cryptopsy logo. Um, what would be the perfect collab for you, Jesse, um, DK, Chris? What would be the perfect collab for you? It doesn't have to be a beer. If it is a beer, that'd be cool, but it doesn't have to be. Oh, dude, it would be beer or coffee. <laughs> or Muay Thai shorts. See, that's cool, yeah. <laughs> Although the rest of my band wouldn't agree with that. Probably coffee. Yeah, like for, for consumables, uh, sup, Deathwish, I want to do a coffee with you. Uh, for consumables, like co- coffee and beer are, are daily consumables for me. I would also love to do a uh, cannabis uh, we don't have to call it cannabis. cannabis. We do like fucking weed. I want to do a weed. Like I want weed. What, 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 what would your What would your weed be? It would be fucking better than God's vagina. It would be like. That's the name. <laughs> Duh. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be that'd be dope. Because those are things I consume every day. Some like some collabs don't make sense, right? You see, like you were talking about profiting earlier like some of these collabs are like okay all right we know we know where the motivation is but like i believe in collabs are like something i would use coffee weed and beer give me all three hell yes chris probably echo the sentiments of dk something thc infused beer crossover crossover. call it get fucking buckled it'd be cool like what would you call it sorry get fucking buckled (laughs) it'd be cool to do like a west coast ipa so it's like super dank because of the weed and stuff, that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put memes on Hell. the bottle. Put memes on the bottle. Memes on the bottle. Dank memes, Love it. Steel memes. <laughs> Dank memes. <laughs> I'm very lucky I have the podcast. Before I sit down here, I get this like same little feeling that I get before I crawl on stage. Am I prepared enough? 
Am I ready? Is is the sound gonna work? Uh, we're gonna have one shitty mic. Um, I get that. I get. I get that vibe. You know. So so it's the same thing. I'm filling the void of performing live with the podcast. How have you guys filled the void of performing live? DK, you've been on tour a whole bunch, so you have to tell me about before you've been on tour. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, like, I'm in no position to say no to anything after <laughs> sitting alone in an apart- a four-by-four apartment Oof. in downtown Toronto with me and my cat. No other human contact for two years. It was like, really, you want to talk about fucking dark. Um, so I uh, was super lucky that I discovered Twitch. Hi, Twitch. How you doing? Uh, I discovered Twitch. And uh, I went, you know, in a busy tour week, I would play guitar fucking 10 hours a week max, you know, like six shows a week, 90 minute sets, whatever. I was started playing guitar 45 hours a week to a live audience that was like bigger than the average live audience my band was playing to. Um, It was a game changer because at first, dude, I I had no motivation. All the shows were canceled, like 150 shows canceled. I'm like, I pick up my guitar and I'm like, like, what am I even playing for? I don't want to, don't want to write an album. There's no shows to tour it on and I don't need to practice a set. So like, I don't need to learn any more fucking Metallica songs. That's for sure. (laughs) So like, there's nothing to do. Right. Um, so I, I, uh, I wasn't playing guitar at all for the first couple months. And then man, I discovered Twitch and I met, uh, literally have met thousands of like-minded people who are now a community. We're the DK army. And, uh, and now I've been I've been on tour for the last two months. How, how many people have come out? There? I've met like almost a hundred of people from that community over the last two months. Like like some nights, I'm trying to escape the venue to get like a low key drink somewhere like next door, and like 25 people will follow me because like we're that tight now. Amazing! It's it's, it's, it's community. It's real shit. And yeah. Uh, Good for you. yeah, it's it's been a it's been a game changer. So I mean. I I literally Twitch changed and saved my life. I don't know what I would have done without it because it is literally just me and a cat. Me and a cat in that apartment. Mm-hmm. Chris, filling the void of, of, of going to shows, performing shows. Cats are fucking rad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely creating an online community. Uh, Discord has been a lot of fun for me every Friday. I get together with my Discord community. If we're not watching a movie together, we're talking about music. Or we play American Truck Simulator. Honk! And it's a lot of fun. You get to connect with a lot of people. Have some drinks in the safety of your own home. Uh, finding any excuse to go meet up with a fan. If someone... There, there's been a few times where I reverse block my phone number and I pretend like I'm working for Canada Post. And then if someone's in my area, I'll go deliver their merch to them. But you gotta sell... That's half the fun. It's just selling it a little bit. I've seen that shit online. That's fucking brilliant. Thanks, dude. That's great shit. That's great shit. <laughs> Uh, Jesse, filling the void, You're making two albums. Yeah. Just a deeper and deeper void. You <laughs> <laughs> voidy, man. You, you wrote a lot of music. It was pretty voidy. Yeah, I, uh, I learned how to use Reaper and just dove completely into trying to write music. We wrote two records worth of material and recorded it all last fall. Uh, with Andrew Schneider, who we flew up from New York, which was actually like the, the bottleneck of the whole process because we wanted to do our records with him. And by the time we could finally get him up to Winnipeg to do it, uh, because we thankfully got some, some cash from the Manitoba government to do that shit, uh, I had <laughs> like 75 minutes worth of music to do. And no one wants to hear a double Ken Mode album, so we made two <laughs> separate albums that we're going to release that are their own statement of completely losing your mind. I love it. I love it. One last question. 
classic Vox and Hops wrap-up question. Uh, it probably happens to each of us frequently, but we don't want it to happen. And we don't want it to happen tomorrow. So, so when we wake up tomorrow and we don't feel so good, what are your hangover cures? Jesse, take it. You, you mentioned earlier that you, you, you drink to avoid headaches. Yeah. I, uh, I, uh, in fact, this is the headache maker. I, <laughs> I can't mix beers anymore. If I mix any kinds, I get a headache. But I'm going to try. My partner got me on making homemade Gatorade. Really? Do like a pint with uh, a little bit of lemon juice and a whole lot of salt, and you just chug a whole bunch of that and then just keep drinking water. And I mean, I guess having bacon helps too. Sorry for you vegans out there. (laughs) I forgive you. DK, go for it. I'm just going to be real about it. Ten years ago, I would have told you, have another beer. But like, I'm just going to be honest, like nothing works. You need to, you need to sleep for an entire day. (laughs) Like if, like one of those 9 p.m. puking in bed hangovers, like dude, like just, you're dead to the world. You're either calling in sick to work or you were smart enough to book it off. Ignore your phone. Just stay in bed and don't move for like 18 hours. It is the only cure. Uh, it my body does not work the way it used to. <laughs> I used to get up after like two hours of sleep, crack another beer, and go on another bender. But now it's like, yeah, dog, we're out for two days. Dude, wait till you're forty. <laughs> Chris, first thing I do, I wake up hungover. I put my face in my bong. Then I go to the shower for a beer. Then I go to Osmo Shawarma. Shout out Osmo Shawarma, best chicken shawarma in Mississauga. Double chicken shawarma. You got to have protein. You got to have carbs. Something spicy is fucked you to sweat it out for a little bit. That's half the trouble. Try going to the gym. You're going to fart a lot, but fucking whatever. No one's going to talk to you anyway. Fake it till you make it. Maybe do some mushrooms too. Gym, shower, weed, and shawarma. There's no fucking way you're in your 30s yet. <laughs> On that note, I'm going to wrap this up. This is an excellent hang. Jesse, DK, Chris, thank you so, so much for hanging with me. Talking about life, metal, and craft beer. It's Sukram's Brewing live episode here before Manitoba yeah! Metal Fest. Yeah! Massive cheers to you all. Can't wait to perform on Saturday. Cheers. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right today. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, was this an epic night. We had so much fun. It was just so cool to conduct a live interview again with a crowd. I did it back in December. I love doing these. It's amazing. The guests were amazing. I'm going to go deeper with each of them. We discussed after we finished recording this that we just scratched the surface on so many things. So I have booked more interviews with these guests to dig deeper into them. So don't worry about that, that I didn't cover enough stuff. There's more stuff coming. Massive cheers to Jesse, to DK, and to Chris for hanging out with me. And an extra, extra massive cheers to Sukram's Brewing. And an extra, extra, extra cheers to Ninja Cat Productions, Corey. Massive thanks for Manitoba Metal Fest. It was an absolute blast. If you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You can go on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive two emails a month, which will contain all of the details of everything that has happened recently in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. You'll get to see which episodes I've dropped recently. You'll get to see which episodes I have coming up. You will get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently. And you'll get to see which albums Jerry Monk, the metal architect himself, has put on the Brutal Awakenings playlist, which is available on both Apple Music and Spotify. There is just so much going on in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, I'd hate for you to miss a single thing, so sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hops Metal Podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a killer weekend. 
I will be back next week with, yet again, two episodes, one on Tuesday and another on Friday. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.